there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Creative people and how they do their thing is what I love to talk about. Today my guest is David Pevsner. He's an actor and writer, uh, also writes songs, and he has a one-person show that has now been turned into a filmed um, play. So you can stream it, you can get it on DVD, um, it's out there for you to see. It's called Musical Comedy Whore, and it's about his adventures um, being both a musical comedy performer and a sex worker, and um, how all of that stuff goes together. It's really interesting, really honest, really entertaining, very moving, and I was so excited to talk to David about it. So before I get to that, though, I want to get a plug in for, um, if you're in North Hollywood this Sunday, there's a place called T-Pop, which is where I like to hang out. They have a nice patio, do writing, things like that. They're doing a market, and I'm going to be sell- selling games of You Don't Know My Life there on Sunday from 11 to 5, T-Pop, uh, 50-50, Vineland Avenue in North Hollywood. So if you're just looking for somewhere to go and to see somebody in person, um, they're going to have other vendors there with cool things, gifts and stuff. It'll be a fun thing. That's this Sunday from 11 to 5. Also still hosting the virtual games online. If you could use that to bring some of your people together, um, hit us up at youdon'tknowmylife.com. All right, that's enough for the plugs. Here is the interview with David Pesner. Joining me live via Zoom uh, from Los Feliz, David Pevsner is with us. Hello, How are you? I'm great. Good. I, you sent me the link to watch your show, and I really enjoyed it, and I have a lot of questions. It's a live taping of the stage version, and where did you do the stage version at? Because it looks really good. We did it at the um, Colony Theater in Burbank. Nice. I'm not just down the street from me. It looked really professional, and I liked how big the theater felt, and the lighting, and everything was really top-notch and well done. How long did it take you to to sort of put that journey together? Well, the show um, was born in 2014. Right. However, based on a screenplay that I wrote back in the late 90s. Nice. um, As this is, as the the situations in the show and in the screenplay actually happened to me. How would you describe the story in a couple of sentences? It's essentially, it's, it's it's a show about my sexual development and my development as a musical comedy guy. Right. And then the point in my life where they came together, while I was doing high-profile off-Broadway musicals, I became a male escort to make ends meet. So I was literally a musical comedy whore. So early on in your, uh, early on in your show, you talk about starting out in, in musicals and stuff like that, and you talk about Fancy Boys. Um, and you have a sign that lights up that says Fancy Boys. So A, I want to know, how do you define Fancy Boys? And B, what happened to the sign... And is it something you, like, hang over your bed or something? Oh, you're showing me the sign. It. There it is. It That's lights it. up. Because I was like, that I sign. With, whenever I do the show, I schlep it with me unless it's out of town. And then I have, a, like, a, a banner. Right. Fancy Boys in the show represents all the gay shows that I've either written or appeared in. Right. Like, When Pigs Fly and Naked Boys Singing and Fancy Boys Follies. But it represents yeah. a certain genre of theater that was popular at the time. I saw every one of those shows, sometimes more than once. I loved them. And yet, there was this little snobby thing that certain people would have. And I was probably guilty of it myself. Of like, We used to joke that there should be like gay nude, the most happy fella. Or gay nude, the sound of music. Like It was this sort of cheap way to get butts in seats. And there was... Well, look, 
I, know, people look down their singing, nose at it, but they love them. But Naked Boy singing started that way. It knew what, the, what it was. The Celebration Theater was going under, and Bob Schrock, who ran the theater, said, well, what do gays like? Musicals and cock. So right. So we decided to put the show together. It's so true. And that, was my op- and that was my opportunity to take some songs that I had written that were just kind of like dirty, funny little poems that I right. kind of put to music. And I found out about the show and through a guy named Marty Casella, who's a friend of mine from New York who lives here now. And he said, get your songs to Bob Schrock. They're doing a show. I was like, well, my songs are kind of dirty. He goes, I said, what's it about? He goes, nudity. Holy shit. Right. So I sent my songs in. They ended up using three of them. And that's how I got started. And as I say in the show, you know, doing that and doing When Pigs Fly and, and um, writing for Naked Boys Singing, I, I mean... I got kind of a reputation of the kind of gay, naked, off-Broadway actor. Right. Um, party. I had done Party right. um, off-Broadway, where I took my clothes off. And so I kind of got this reputation. And I was like, I'm fine with it. My, my boyfriend at the time was not and had that judgmental right. kind of like, oh, you're, you're the, the worst. Oh, that's Corey. We're going to get to Corey. I have thoughts okay. about Corey um, <laughs> that you tell him that thing. <laughs> But was it fun to do those shows? Loved it. Yeah. There's something so wonderful about not hiding who you are. And yet, right. I, I think that the ones I did were kind of the Cadillacs of that, of that uh, right. genre. Because yes. Party was a truly, truly funny show. When Pigs Fly was artistically and humor-wise about as good as you can get. And Naked Boys Singing, even though, you know, down the line, it wasn't the greatest stuff in the entire world, people loved it. Yeah. And I'm very proud of my songs for that show. And you still get, like, residuals and stuff, from royalties from that, right? Yeah, I mean, Naked Boys for a while was like ka-ching, 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 because it had productions, you know, all over the world. Right. So that was great. But um, now I think I get a check maybe once a year. Yeah. And now, for sure, nothing, you know, because of COVID. Do you get paid by the inch? I'm just, that's just a crude joke. (laughs) That's a dumb, dumb dick joke. Which, you know what? We got to be willing to make them. I I love them and (laughs) keep going because, uh, I, you know, I think that dick humor and ass humor and anything having to do with, like, all of that, there's some funny shit that if people will get over themselves and get over their ew about it all, right? They would laugh. Now, when you sat down to write this, I'm yeah. sure in your head there's like the virgin. There's the there's the version where I, I sort of infer and I sort of you know kind of don't go quite there. And then there's the version where I really tell the stuff. And I feel like oh, you went no, to the tell the stuff. You're talking the way you no describe question. the. Um, the way you describe the encounters, the way you describe, like, what turns you on. Like, you're so honest about it. And I was like, this is why it works. Um, so, but but well, what was it like funny. to decide to, to be that honest about it? There was no question that I was going to go there. Because to me, the, the extreme stuff was really funny. Right. Or really emotional or really touching. And this is what and it's like. This is what it was like. And I think if you're going yeah. to take people into a world, you have to tell them what it was really like. Yeah, and, and I, you know, we learned as we did the show more and more that you can't just, like, you know, make a fisting joke in the first two minutes of the show and expect people to go with it, you know? Right. They have to kind of be eased into it. They have to like me. 
They have to, you know, in order to follow my journey. Right. You know, now, having said that, there were people who I could tell during the sessions that were a little more um, explicit that they were laughing with their hands over their eyes a little bit, but they still stuck with it and they understood why it was in the show, you know? Right. And it all made sense. And in fact, in that section, in the section where I have my first, um, my first situation with the, with the bonds, my director, who I love, Randy Brenner, right? You know, he is he's as fearless as I am, and and the reason we work so well together is because he doesn't try to dumb me down or you know say, "Ooh, that's really difficult." But he did say this one section. He goes, "I, I don't know, David." Right? You I really go into detail about this first encounter. Your first time well, but, as a... As he a said, you know, I said, you know what? Maybe we'll make a little... Um, what is it called when you do a... Um, you make an excuse for something ahead of time? A disclaimer. Uh, a, a disclaimer. Yeah. A tiny, slight disclaimer. So there's a little teeny one before the most explicit part. But it's funny. And it readies the audience. And it says, we know we know this is extraordinary for a theater. We, it, it sort of tells the audience that as creators, we get it. We're asking you to go here. But we're asking you yeah. to go here. Yeah. Absolutely. And and with great humor. We are asking you with great humor yes. to go with me. Don't don't suddenly get a stick up your ass. Don't suddenly tighten up and get all tense because I'm gonna make it okay. You know, part if you just read it, I could see somebody reading it and going like, Oh, oh, okay. But what they're missing is the person delivering it. Right. I'm very self deprecating about it. I'm very aware of what it sounds like. And I don't, in fact, there are times when I kind of push it even further physically and whatever, kind of shove it in people's faces, but I know how to do it with humor and with empathy. Right. Well, and also you're sitting there as the audience going, I want an, I want the truth about this. I think it's really interesting. Absolutely. So don't just lap dissolve to the next scene. You know, we, we want to know what it was like. But you're also I, really honest about your own feelings around it. Like you get turned on and you're honest about what turns you on and why. Um, and that stuff I found really, uh, courageous the way you would write about like, you know, getting this, you got flashed a $20 bill once on the street by somebody that just, just randomly. And the idea stuck and it kind of turned you on. Um, and I just I, thought it was cool that I, you were I honest about, that. you were honest about what floated your boat around all of, all of this stuff having to do with sex and desire. I just don't think that the show would not have made sense to, if I, if I didn't go there. Right. You would constantly be going like, okay, that's not a strong enough you know reason to do this, or or I didn't quite get why he did that. I think it's pretty clear why I do everything in this show for sure because I'm so honest about it. Yeah. No. For sure. Um, you talk about early in your career, you did some Broadway shows and tours, right? Like Fiddler on the Roof and things. And you got into working out because ever since I've known you, I've always thought you had a terrific body. And I remember seeing on stage and just the torso was just like, that's fantastic. And you talked about going from, you know, normal performer guy to body guy. Um, and yep. what was that journey like? Did you do it while you were on tour with this, a show? I did. Um, the first tour I did was South Pacific with Robert Goulet, Robert Goulet, Robert Goulet. Right. And... And when you're when you do a show, there's so much time. All, the only thing you have to be there for is the show, right? And you're out of town, so everybody goes to the gym. 
And and there was a guy in the show who was one of the CDs who had this, he was like six foot tall and bodybuilder body. And he was just the nicest guy. And I, I, I said, can you help me? <laughs> like, you know, right. So he kind of took me under his wing and I read all the, all the muscle magazines and I would go to the gym for like three hours a day. I, I don't even know what I did for three hours a day. Right. But it kind of changed, it changed my life. It kind of brought me this body. I was a skinny, shy, not shy, but like, Shame. I was ashamed of my body. Right. You know? I didn't like being in a, in a dressing room where I had to change with other guys. Right. Because I was ashamed. And this kind of brought me to this place that I had always kind of fantasized about um, having this body. Now, of course, mentally, it went many places for me, and some of them were not very healthy. Right. And I started judging other people based on their body. Yeah, you describe yourself as a body Nazi at one point. But what's yeah. it like yeah. when you you know, and over a period of months, you go from nobody's looking at me to people are looking at me. That feeling must have been exciting as hell. I loved it. It was something that I, you know, whenever I would watch TV shows, and I watched a fuck of a lot of TV, 25 hours a day, I would look at these these movie stars and these TV stars who were just so hot, and I'd always be like, I'm never going to be like that. And I wanted to be an actor. Right. So I just thought I would be like the ugly cousin, and that's what, what I was going to be. When I changed physically, what it gave me was confidence. So many times during my life, I remember thinking, if I just figured it out and got a hot body, then everything else would fall into place. Like, if some 20-year-old gay guy just showed up here and said, what do I need to do to find success... Part of me thinks I should say, you know, find a good group of friends, keep your feet on the ground, all these sensible things. And the other part of me says, just get a hot body, nothing else matters. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> well, the thing is, though, that what I learned, and for a while there, um, all my self esteem was in my biceps. So that's not healthy either. Right. So, so it didn't. It didn't. It balance. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't. Um, didn't make you feel whole. It just gave you a different compartment it gave me a yes and and it was challenged by that relationship that's in the show yes let's talk about Corey. now first of all there is some chorus boy shaming that happens with Corey, and i think chorus boys are next to gods i feel like i want them frolicking everywhere but this particular uh boyfriend of yours was a little down on that whole idea he looked down on chorus boys which i don't understand Well, he kind of referred to me as, you know, essentially as a chorus boy. No, he didn't. But all of his friends who were meeting me kind of referred to me as, as the chorus boy. Right. And and look, I think chorus boys... That's a compliment. Sometimes when I'm in a show and there's... Holy shit, they're so fucking talented. Right, and they're you know? so like, cute. And they're so cute. <laughs> they are. Right. You know, there's nothing bad about a chorus boy. Yeah, if you said you're nothing but a chorus boy, I'd be like, really? You say it again. <laughs> I love that. But they meant it in a very disparaging way. You know, yeah. that like, I, and that was the other thing with him is that, you know, even though I was in this like, you know, high profile off Broadway show and I had been working a ton, you know, I still felt like he thought I was a hack because yeah. I did some of the gay stuff and because, um, you know, I had a body. Right. I, I, there was just stuff that I was like, I am not presenting this to you. I don't know where you're getting this from. This is, but I didn't understand the concept of it's not about me, it's about you. Yeah, that's interesting. Because as I was watching it, I was like, oh, Corey's jealous of you. 
he's jealous that he doesn't have that card in his deck. I didn't realize at the time that it was projection. Right. That it really wasn't about me. I couldn't see it. All I knew was I'm failing at this relationship. I'm not a good boyfriend. I'm the worst. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't see me that way. And, oh, what am I going to do? When it really had nothing the fuck to do with me. Right. You know? um, is he still around, this particular person? He is. And I know yes. that you said that he wasn't thrilled when you were writing a screenplay about this. Does right. he know about the show? Do you use his real name? No. Yeah. No. I, I, I kind of mask things a little bit. So sure. Throws people off the scent. Sure. But yeah. you were... It's not... Look, I don't really... It's not, it's not that I don't care. Um, I, I, I do. I feel like if there's something you can do with, with somebody who you have odds with, um, I'm not the type of person who's like, well, I'm just going to do this and fuck up, you know? I was very thoughtful about how I was going to portray, not so much portray him because the portrayal is very true to what happened. And so right. he, he did the deed himself, you know, right. if you come away from it feeling a certain way about him. But there were certain things technically about him that I could adjust a little bit that really had no bearing on the story. Right. Um, you remember the exchanges very well. Did you ever keep a journal or anything like that? Um, you know, I did for a little while, but the, the exchanges really came. And, it, and I've also written a book, which I thought, this is going to be impossible because my memory is so shitty. But when I get into that place where there's no distraction and I'm really like sitting and writing and getting in the situation, then I go, oh my God, I totally remember that. It's, it's like channeling, you know? Um, and so things came back to me much better than I thought, because to me, they were important exchanges. I think every exchange I have in the show was a very important exchange in my development. Well, you know, yes. And they're memorable because they, they affect you and you remember every word they say, of course, I'm going to remember it. It cut me down to, to this big, you know, I'm going to remember exactly. exactly how he delivered it. Because it was traumatizing. Like in, in the situation with the pimp, you know, some of that dialogue yeah. was like, oh, I can't believe I'm having this conversation. You know, and, and remember, I, I had this as a film just like a year after all of this happened to me. So it's not like I had to go back 20 years to remember the dialogue. A lot of the dialogue I had already, already written, you know. Right. So it was just a matter of being able to kind of edit it and, you know, judge it a little bit when it needed to be. Right. But as you were saying earlier, it's different than having a screenplay document. Say, hey, look at this. It's different than standing on stage and saying, this is my story. This is what I did. This is what it was like. What was it it's like the first more... times you performed it in front of an audience? Um, I, I think I was a little nervous. But I also, there's a little bit of persnickety elf in me that's like, I can't wait to, I can't wait to tell this story. Good. I, let's see what you have to say about it, kids. You know, I, I, I kind of, I, I, I can be a little bit of a troublemaker sometime, and if I can do it with my work, even better. Right. So, um, and, and it did from the time I started it. Um, through Now, the readings, I had to kind of adjust because I would have the stories and I would have the songs, and for a while it was feeling like two different shows. But over time, when I finally got to that place where everything was melding together and I killed the babies that shouldn't be there right. and I focused so more about sex, suddenly 
it had resonance. And so doing it for an audience and knowing that what I'm telling them that they are going to identify with, even though like they hear musical, musical comedy horror and go, I'm not going to, there's nothing in there for me. Right. Well, there is, you know, when you were doing your shows and you had your life, did how many people in your life knew that you were escorting? Did people, did anybody know? Many. Yeah. Not many. I think when I gave the screenplay to people to, you know, in my mind, I remember a friend of mine said, just don't, just pretend it's a story. If people ask, just tell them it's a story and it's based in truth, but it's not true. And of course, I'm so detail oriented in it that like they knew, you know, people that I would give it to, but I didn't really speak about it except to my very, very close friends. It wasn't until I actually started doing the show in 2013, 14, that people would be like, Oh, well, this is telling me more about you than I ever knew. Yeah, and, like, I, I, I've known you for a long time, and we've been friendly, but yeah. I had no idea. So when I, when I saw this, I was like, oh, okay, good for him, you know? Um, <laughs> how often, when you would go to a client's place, were drugs and alcohol involved? Because in the, in the really. main, in the big first encounter, that's a big part of it. And I was wondering how mm-hmm. much of that you would see. Very little. It's, it's funny... I know that people had, that there were guys who were doing, you know, who were escorting, who got involved in drugs and, and other stuff. Yeah. Maybe it's because I was older. Maybe it's because I made, that, that the two people that I worked for who set these things up for me really tended to screen people a right. lot and they had regulars. Um, there was only this one situation that's in the show. And then maybe a couple other times where I was like, no, that's, I don't do that. You know, you can do it, but I don't do it. Right. And I, it was always a positive experience. That's amazing. Judging by what you document in the show, you're all always able to deliver, always able to perform, which my hat is off. That's fantastic. Well, you know, it's one of those things where, and that's part of what the show is about, that you kind of have to look at these guys in a different way than you normally would, or the way I did, because I was such a body Nazi. Right. How am I going to get physical with someone who doesn't attract me necessarily? Right. And what I really learned to do was look at the guy as more than just a shell, you know? And and I'm a caretake, caretaking kind of guy anyway. And I when I do a job, I like to do it well. Right. And I love, you know, I love sex and I love getting, you know, ex- exploring sex with people. What was not to, and, and making money doing it. Right. It was, it would, for a while, it was actually like a perfect job for me because I did it my way. You know, right. I didn't like get fucked up and go and, you know, let everybody do everything to me. I, you know, I was pretty specific about what I would do and what I wouldn't do. And it was just, Raves here, you know, I loved it. I loved the job and I felt like I did it really well. Was there something kind of sneaky and fun about it? Like you're doing your show, you're finished, you're getting ready and you're like, oh, I can't go out to eat. I've got something to go do. And just kind of the double life of it. It's like a spy. It was like, it was like a movie. It was like a movie, you know, where I had my little, because I've always been kind of a regular nice Jewish guy, you know? That's that's who I was, and so doing it made me feel like, ooh, I'm bad, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But but I but again, I didn't take it just from face value. I really explored it and saw how it made me feel, and 
There were times when I didn't feel as good about it for whatever situation, but almost almost always it became about connection. You felt it like you really gave them something. Me a lot about connection. Yeah, so, you felt like you made a difference for this for the person in that moment that you that you brought them. Absolutely. Something. Yeah. And there were times when they made the difference for me too. Yeah. You know. You you would have that moment of connection, and you'd like the guy, and you'd talk about stuff, and then you'd leave going like, "Well, that was that was a real connection. That wasn't just you know sticking a dick in a hole." Right. Sometimes it was, and that was fine. Right. But it ran the gamut. There was no, no two sessions were the same. Right. And that was great. Would you ever have to go back to back, or did you always have a break in between? You know, would you ever do more than one a night? I, no, I, I don't rem- That may have happened. Right. But remember, being an older guy, I yeah. was less in demand. Yeah. So it's not like I had, you know, 20 clients a week. I did not. Right. Um, there's a relationship, I think, before Corey, maybe, I, I think it's a different person, where... Yeah. Uh, Gus. You get Gus. You get, you get naked together for the first time, and he asks you, does my body disappoint you? And initially you say no, and then you are honest. It's heartbreaking because I think a lot of us relate to it. um, And, and yet it's honest. So, you know, I gave a script when I was trying to get the show produced, I gave the script to um, a fairly, now a fairly big Broadway producer, but I had worked for him doing a play from his, his partner. And so, and he was very friendly and I really liked him a lot. And I sent him the script and he said to me, David, I got to that part about the guy that you reject. He said, and I didn't like you anymore. He's like, I couldn't go with you the rest of the time. I said, I said there's more to it than that. That's my, that's my that's point. That's the point. A. You have to realize yeah. this thing about yourself that, okay, I've become how, more shallow than I think I need. That's how bad it was. I, I couldn't, I, it wasn't about going from point A to point D. Yeah. Point A was me being at my worst, and A to Z, you've got to get, you've got to have a gamut yeah. so that the, that the journey is is long and difficult. And if I didn't include that, I mean, I'm very self-deprecating about it too, you know. And I'm aware; it's not like I'm going like, "Well, I was an asshole to him." Fuck you! I right. don't do that, you know. No, to but me, it, it tells the journey that I need to get on. There's something. Sex is the area of my life where what I believed about it when I was younger and starting it out and puberty and on and where I've landed now in terms of my philosophy around it has changed the most in my life. If I could come back and, and do another life and, and, and change one attitude, it would be around that. So I think there's around, something about... Specifically around what? Around um, is sex immoral? Is it bad to be promiscuous? Um, or, or, you know, do, do we need to pretend that we don't have these things going on inside our bodies that are going on inside our bodies, especially when we're younger? Exactly. And to me, and I don't, I haven't had a ton of it, frankly, and I don't use it a lot in my work, but isn't there something about, we were not told the truth about it for so long growing up that when you finally kind of realize What's behind the curtain? You're like, you know what? I'm just going to fucking tell the truth about this stuff. Because the lies do so much damage, I think. Well, that's part of my mission now. Yeah. Not only with my show. That's what was coming across. With, you know, the book I wrote with, with mo- the modeling that I do, you yeah. know. 
um, it's it's all about the fact that we were raised around such shame yes. having to do with our bodies and sexuality. And and especially, it's not just being just sexual. It's about being gay. It's about being men. Yeah. There's just so much shame. There's so much that has was thrown in front of our faces to make us feel shitty about ourselves as we developed. So we had very, you know, retarded developments when it came to... Um, naturally developing our sexuality and our self-confidence and our self-esteem you know it, it all got slowed down because of you know i think of times in school you know how horrible the boys were to me and if i didn't have a girlfriend if i wasn't seen kissing in the hallway somebody was gonna beat me up well that's bullshit right and kids are still having to go through that and it makes me crazy in gay culture it can also be that shame around like i haven't figured this out totally what it comes down to is not not comparing your journey to anybody else's. Right. You know, the minute you do that, you will either suffer or you will become an egotistical asshole. Right. Whatever the case. And you're just not being true to yourself. Your journey is your journey. Yeah. Were you ever on a call where somebody wanted you to do something you didn't want to do? Were you ever um, like, mm, yeah, not not on the menu? There was one guy that I, what comes to mind when you ask me this question, had the biggest dick I've ever seen in right. my life. I mean, I make jokes in the show, like about, you know, baseball bats and all that. Right. This was, I, I have nothing to compare it to. Right. But in your head, if you think about the biggest possible dick, yeah. think of four times that, and that's what this guy had. <laughs> and... And he wanted to fuck me. Right. And I was just like, no, this isn't going to... He was like, can we try? I was like, no, we can try. And, and like in about, you know, three seconds flat, right. I was like, no, no, this is not going to work. Look, why don't we get up the sheet like in Austin Powers and create the silhouette? But, exactly. And it looks like it's happening. And then won't that be enough for you? Right. Won't it? No. When the That's money like exchange would happen, what's it like when the money exchange happens? Do you ever have to say, um, it's time to pay me or like they pay it up front. They pay it up front. Good. Yeah. Nice. Done. Nice and clean. No, that when, when I was doing it with, um, the escort service, right. That was required. And it was cash. Up front. And yeah. And it was, and it was kind of like on the table, like they didn't have to hand it to me. It was just one of those things, especially with regulars where it was just like, okay, let, money's done. Let's not even think about that because we want this to have more than like a financial agreement feeling yeah. to it, you know? Um, and then I think when I was on my own, doing it on my own, there were times when, um, if it was a new client, I would ask for it up front. But if yeah. it was somebody that I'd been with, you know. Yeah, you'd roll with it. Um, yeah. Uh, what's it like, what are your thoughts about aging in the gay community? When you, wow. somebody that's gotten a lot of attention for their body, we all get older. It's happening to all of yeah. us. No one's getting out of it. Um, yeah. What have you observed? Well, I, I've observed what I've learned from, you know, putting photos and videos online. Right. Where I am naked in various stages of naked and sexuality is that there's something for everybody. Right. And that there are going to be people who kind of look at me and go, Grandpa, you're fugly, put it away. Right. And then there are going to be the people who are like, oh my gosh, 
I love older guys being so free and confident. That's so hot. You know, I, I think when it comes to aging, that you shouldn't limit yourself. You shouldn't decide. It's like I used to watch What Not to Wear, and one of the little stop signs that they would have right. was no miniskirts after 35. Right. And I was like, well, what if a woman wants to wear a fucking miniskirt? Yeah. And she Who feels good about it. What do you care about what yes. I think about her wearing a miniskirt? No you dolphin know? shorts after 60. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, how about it? If that's what you want to do. Exactly. Because Richard Simmons it pulled it off. <laughs> exactly. And he did for look, it made him it made him a very wealthy man. Right, we that was his brand. And, and, make, and make jokes about it at the time. Now I wouldn't make jokes about it because, you know, he's a lot wealthier than me. Right. Well what it comes down to is you've got to do what you feel good about. And the more you let other people's opinions sway you from something you're gonna you're gonna go to your grave going, gee, I wish I had, I wish I had worn a speedo at that party, but I felt like I was too old. Yeah. Well, fuck you. Who cares? So so guys are pointing at the seventy year old guy in a speedo. Fuck them. Yeah. You know. I remember being in Palm Springs once with a friend of mine that I'm not friends with anymore, and there was some older guys at the, having brunch or whatever, wearing your various international males. Um. Flat, uh, meshy step-ins, whatever it is, right? right? Gay, gay, gay. Yeah, and and my friend was like, "Ugh, if I ever wear that, if I if I'm like that when I get it, will shoot me." And I'm like, "I want to be that. I hope I'm that. That guy looks like he's having a pretty good time." And like, exactly. I I had it no judgment around it. I was like, "Good for you." But it, but you got to do it for you. Yeah, you know, when you start doing it for other people, then you're opening yourself up to all that judgment. And look, and I have total respect for people who are like, "I'm 50 years old. I'm not wearing a speedo anymore." But great, great. Yeah. Make your make your rules for you, and right. I totally respect that. But then when it goes into, and I don't think any other 50 year old man should right. wear a speedo, then it comes down to fuck you, right? You know? And and seeing people express themselves fully and not give a shit. Is exciting. It's it's inspiring. I, it's important. I think it's all about getting stepping away from shame, right? Stepping away from shame and being truly your authentic self, right? You know, I think I I, I think it was Neil Marin. I remember um, I had met Neil Marin, you know, the producer, and he knew me from party. And I think when pigs fly, and whenever I would see him, he's like, "Oh, you're wearing clothes today. Oh, well, that's a novelty." And I kind of laugh. And then over the years, as I started to, you know, write about sex and write about nudity and pose for photos and do videos and stuff, I thought, you know what? All he was doing was keying into something about me that I, that I need to own up to. Right. I enjoy, I enjoy being naked. I enjoy being, you know, a little more explicit about my sexuality. I really enjoy it. It feels good to me. I feel like when I do it artfully, especially, it opens up other people's eyes to their own sexuality. Right. It is. So I kind of, at the time I was like, I do wear clothes. Yes, I do. Right. Take me now seriously. Like, yeah. Exactly. And that's the other thing. You know, I remember somebody saying to me, because I was, I did a, had a Facebook picture where I wasn't wearing a shirt. There were a couple of photos and somebody messaged me and said, David, how do you think anybody is going to take you as a serious person? If you put up photos like that, and I was like, okay, I almost don't know what to say to this, except 
if you're talking about serious as a as an actor as a writer then look at my fucking acting work and read my fucking you know right. book or my show that's how you'll take me as a serious person but if you have a problem with me standing there in a bathing suit right you know on a picture and you think that this cuts into you know what kind of a serious person i am then that's your problem right. i can't and ha- having said that of course that there are appropriate times and places yes. of course but if it's something i want to do and i'm not hurting anybody yeah screw you you know really now, i wish everybody would say that exactly when you were escorting did you know other escorts was there a, a, a or were you just kind of like a freelancer on your own person no i was working with this um with this a couple of agencies right and a couple of times they paired me with somebody right so we would go into three ways a couple yeah. of times yeah because i always I dreamed most- i always had a fantasy of being a go-go boy but bonding with the other go-go boys and having nicknames for each other like pony boy <laughs> and you know we didn't, i didn't have that you, you no. didn't have that with the other with the other people um i didn't and in fact i remember the couple guys that i worked with we had a great time they were very nice and then i never saw them again yeah it was good. It was good working with you. You know, it's like show business. It's a it's exactly. a showman, if you will. We did a one night. We did a one night performance in yeah. Ravenna, Ohio, and I'm on the plane the next day, and I never see you again. There's a yeah. few scenes, or maybe one scene, I'm thinking of with you in the play and your agent, your acting agent at the time, and the way yeah. he was talking about appearing gay, uh, being light in the loafers, all of that stuff that we. That, that were part of the industry in the 80s, 90s, you know, we're used to hearing. I feel like people don't talk like that anymore in those meetings because of... They do or they don't. I feel like they don't, or they, they don't get away with it like they use... I don't feel like you could say that stuff to an actor. I don't agree. I, I, I could be wrong. You know, you, you know what I mean? Behind closed doors, you probably do. But you know how there's... There's the sort of wokeness around. Um, I know. I know actors who were not seen for certain roles that they would be great at because their their agent didn't think they were manly enough. For right. It. Still, probably this week. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And and so and you walk into the door and you know you you know I, I always walked into a room ready for what I was reading for. Right. You know I knew that um, I knew that I wasn't going to go in for some like the husband. And be like, hey, girl, like, you know, I wasn't right. going to do that. I wouldn't do that anyway, just because I like to be a little neutral when I walk in because I don't know quite what they want. Right. But sometimes, but sometimes that's why I love playing gay roles. And that's why I love telling gay stories, because I walk in however I walk in. Right. And You're not like, oh, my God, am I giving them away? Can they tell? Um, am I holding the script like a gay guy? Oh, gosh, what if I carry my Don't books? cross your legs. Don't cross your legs. It's yeah. that all that stuff we grew up with. It's the same thing. But the funny thing is, is what I learned that being playing a gay role, it's a role. Right. It's, it's, there's a lot of times it's not, there's no, you're not playing anything, quote, gay, unquote. Right. You're just playing the role. And it has, my mom said to me a long time ago, um, why do you keep doing these gay roles? It's very limiting. Why do you keep doing it? And at the time, and my writing too. She was like, "Everything you write is just gay. How are you? You know, how are you going to get people to come see it?" And I almost didn't know what to say. 
until years later when I did Scrooge and Marley, which was a gay Christmas carol. Right. And it was a film. And we had our, it was shot in Chicago. We had this big opening at the uh, Music Box Theater in Chicago. And it was a really big deal. Like they showed the film on this, in this big screen with all these people. And I'm from Chicago, so it was kind of a big deal. And we had a little symposium afterwards where the audience asked questions. And somebody asked me that very question about, you know, why is it that you just, you do so many gay roles? And my parents were in the audience. And it just suddenly came to me, like that it never come to me before, was that I love telling our stories. And we don't have one story to tell. We don't have the gay story to tell. Right. We have a million stories to tell. If all I ever did was gay roles, we would have, I would have, you know, movies and TV shows and theater and what, what, I would have so much material if that's all I did. Right. I'm not limiting, you know, I just enjoy it because it feels more authentic to me. Right. Of course I play straight roles. Of course I will play straight roles. But these feel more authentic to me because I know the inside of this guy that I'm reading. Right. From a very organic place. Where For I sure. don't always know the guy who's in a 60-year marriage or, you know, is a stockholder with, I don't know. You know what I'm saying. Right. Um, you mentioned your parents coming to see that Q&A. Um, what does your family think now are they still alive do they know about um the escorting like because you mentioned that a bit in the show but i wasn't sure how it all ended up yeah you know i always felt that the show was kind of in the end of valentine to my family and my friends because i am opening myself up like nobody does in in their relationships with such honesty yes you know, about what i've been doing and how i feel about them and for the longest time, I couldn't get, you know, when I played in Chicago, which is where I was from, nobody came to see it except for a distant cousin. This show. Um, this, this show. Yeah. yeah. And my sister said, I love my sister. She goes, she goes, I just don't want to see a show about my brother's sex life. <laughs> and I was like, Janet, it's a bit more than that. But I understood, you know, and I think they knew it was out there and. Look, when you get a Google alert and you and you get, you know, David Pevner's musical comedy horror about when he was an escort, well, then you got to figure they know. Right. I didn't really have the conversation with any of them because I honestly, I didn't know how they were going to take it. Right. And both of my folks have passed. And I think they knew about it because they know that I was not one to keep quiet about things like sex and nudity. And, and they just knew that. Right. I think they wouldn't, they wouldn't have wanted to know. Yeah. Now, with the movie coming out, um, my brother-in-law did come see the show in um, Florida. Your brother-in-law? My brother-in-law, my other sister's husband. Okay. And my other sister didn't want to come either because she was like kind of the same reason as, as my sister Janet. Sure. And he loved it. And he said, you know, I think she would love it. Yeah. I, I think she would get this. It would be a tough journey for them. But in the end, they, you come out of it with such... <laughs> I get a little emotional thinking about it. You come out of it feeling like, again, connection. If I didn't know you, David, I know you now. Yeah. You know? And I want you to know me. I want to feel closer to you. And I can't if I'm keeping secrets from you. Right. You know? And so for the film, I actually did an email to everybody in my family because I have a lot of nieces and nephews and grandnieces and nephews. And I just lay out the story for them and tell them, you know, because 
they're, they're, whether they want to know about it or not, this is what their uncle David did. And they know me. They know they love me. They think I'm funny. They think I'm not like any other uncle in the world. And the reason why I am that is because I have lived my life authentically and have expressed myself as an artist. Right. And it freed me up to be who I am with them, you know. And I think it probably inspired them to do the same in whatever, whatever way they need to be. I hope so. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. You talk about this a bit in the show, but what did you learn from escorting? How did it change um, you? A ton. Um, I I learned to look at men differently. I learned that if all I was going to do is look at men with the shell that they were presenting, that I was going to be alone my whole life, that I was never going to have a fulfilling relationship, that I was never going to get to know somebody beyond their tits, you know, right. or their, their, their handsome face. Um, it really made me, it just made me look at men differently. And that has served me my whole life. You know, it, it opened me up to the fact that, uh, the, the movie star boyfriend is a fantasy. And sometimes when it does come true, it's not always, it's not great always, you know. That's not to say that handsome men can't be good boyfriends or good people. I'm not saying that. Right. But you got to get your ass off of the, you know, the pedestal. Right. And come down to earth and see what's in front of you yeah. and connect. Um, talk to me about the internet. Because I think probably when when you were doing this or, or doing those shows, it wasn't really a thing. It was kind of coming up. But now, like you said, if you're into daddies... There's about 20 websites for you. You know, there's OnlyFans. There's all of this stuff. What do you make yeah. of it all? Especially because I know you still like to post photos and, and share in that way. What's the internet like? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I have an OnlyFans page, and I originally it was uh, no, not for subscription. I just couldn't. After Tumblr, I had a Tumblr page, and then they Tumblr, the Tumblr cleaned up their it. act, and I hate them for it. I fucking hate They, You know, when I... Uh, the CEO said because they wanted a more positive Tumblr, which made me think, okay, that means sexuality and nudity is negative. Yeah, it's and shameful. It exactly what I'm fighting against. Right. You know? So when, when Tumblr went under, I needed, and I'd been posting photos for like five years of photo shoots that I've been doing, not only presently, but also years ago, and became kind of a gallery. Right. You know? And I always did it really thoughtfully, and I tried to put it into funny context or to something made it a little more erotic or whatever. And then it was just gone one day. Right. Tumblr was like, no, we're done with you. We're done with you. And, and I actually did an interview on uh, vice for HBO about it. Right. Not that it was going to change anything, but I thought, well, this is a good platform to kind of say, Tumblr, you suck. Anybody right. who calls sexuality and um, uh, nudity negative, right. you suck. Right. There is such a thing as too much in the moderate. I mean, Yes, there are positive and negatives to everything. Right. So then when I started looking for a venue, I decided to go to OnlyFans. And what I learned was, well, what I learned from Tumblr was, oh, my God, my photos would get reblogged onto sites where there would be much older guys than me, but, like, with, you know, 5,000 likes. And you'd be like, wow, it's not just, like, cute 20-something, you know, chorus right. boys with great bodies that people want to see. Right. There's that a, blew my mind. There's a market out there for this. There's yeah. a market for everybody. Now, do your OnlyFans, you charge, right? Since I started posting videos, I charge. Oh, nice. 
Um, yeah. Do you, because when I look at OnlyFans, and I subscribe to people here and there and stuff, I always feel like, oh, those poor guys must feel like they have to generate, 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 you know? Um, yeah. Do you ever feel like it's a beast that needs to keep it getting fed? I do, but I look at it as a business. Yeah. And in this in this world of COVID where, you know, I can't really act yeah. right now to make a living. And, you know, like I wrote a book and so I edited it and I'm getting it published. And so there's going to be a whole other editing process coming up and that'll take up time. Right. But I actually had time on my hands and I was like, well, then I'm going to continue to shoot stuff. And I'm going to... I. And I, I write stories with everything, and it's, it's like I can I can express my inner filthy brain when I write and when I post stuff and when I create the videos. You know, they run the the gamut between art and porn. And all you right, know, so you you you're given a little story. I gotta check this out. Good for you. It's, it's good. Yeah, I, I started by just posting the videos. I was working with a filmmaker, and we posted ero- we shot some erotic stuff, but I had no intention of posting them. Right. But then when the pandemic hit and it became, you know, somebody said to me that when you, when you have an ex, uh, extraordinary circumstance like we're in, right. you become more you than you ever have. Interesting. And it's true. This kind of a, a guy who likes to expose himself and tell stories with sex and everything, it just went into overdrive yeah. because I have this means of not only it's a means of making a living, but I get to express myself. I get to be funny about sex. I get to be sexy about sex. Yeah. I There's just something about coming up with an idea and going like, oh, that would be great. Let me see if I can shoot that. And sometimes it's not necessarily sex. Like I'm going to be shooting something where, um, I don't know if you've heard of Data Lounge. but um, um, I have, but I don't know what it is. It's, it's a forum for people to talk about culture and you know, right. mostly gay stuff or whatever. And I have been the subject. Somebody told me you've got to read Data Lounge because they are merciless to you. And they start out kind of like, oh, older guy looking good. Good for him putting it out there. And now it's like unbelievable, like the stuff that's out there. And I, I, I shouldn't read it, but it's given me a thick skin yeah. because I look at it. And some of the stuff that people write it's pretty funny. So I'm going to do the next thing I'm going to shoot is kind of like mean tweets. Yeah, of course. Like From Data Lounge. Posts. Is it and gay? Is it gay bitchy people on Data Lounge or is it everybody? Oh my God. Yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of gay bitchy people. It's a- and, and you just read and, and they're very aware. Like, I think they know that I, that I read it because sometimes they accuse me of posting myself, which I don't do. Right. You know, when somebody says something nice about me, they think it's me writing it. Right. But the good thing that's come out of it is that it's, it shows me the people that are negative about what I do. Right. And the people that are positive. And it has given me a thick skin. I don't give a crap anymore what anybody says about me because I'm doing something that feels absolutely authentic to who I am. Right. And I can't wait to read these, these, these posts. Because what, like, give me an example of what, what, give me an example of what one of them might say. Well, a lot of them are like, you know, um, he's, he's looks like a, uh, he's like an ugly Jewish orthodontist from the Upper West Side, throwing his cock out or something like that. You know, yeah. and you're like, wow, okay. You know, that's besides being a little anti-Semitic, but, but, you know, and then there are ones who will just go like, you know, oh, the only comment is puke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> you have to laugh, right? The only comment is you puke. have to laugh. That might have to be the title of this episode of the podcast. I always pull one quote because <laughs> there's something. Oh God, that's rough. Pukey old guy. Yeah. Whatever. I can't. You know, I used to care so much about what people thought about me in every aspect of my life. Yeah. And you know, I'm 61 years old now, so at a certain point you have to get over it anyway and it took me a while yeah but doing this has really helped me because honestly i don't give a fuck what you think i hope you enjoy i mean you right I, of course i hand you my movie and i hope you love it right if you don't i'll get over it i'll be a little hurt yeah but when it comes to everything else I, I i'm doing i'm doing what i love to do i'm doing it my way and it's not and i know it's not going to be for everybody yeah the show too I like to think that, you know, anybody watching it who has an open mind is going to love it. Yeah. I want to mention the songs in the piece because they're really catchy and, and well-written. How do you do your songwriting? Do you start, do you play an instrument? Do you, where, how do they no. come to you? Um, I've always written songs starting with a lyric that I, in order to keep continuing to write the lyric, I attach a melody to it. Right. So I come, so I start to get the cadence of the, of what I want to say, right. now, what's the song about, first of all, and then I write down a whole bunch of ideas about the subject matter of the song. Right. And then, especially if it's a personal thing, if it's something that, you know, like the perky little porn star came out of my fantasy of being a porn star. But since I was kind of a nice Jewish boy, I didn't think it was ever going to happen. Right. And, and I don't think that my family would like it and the rabbis would have hated it. And so that's that becomes the story about a guy who has a chosen field that he loves and he had to get over his shame and caring what people thought about him. Yeah. That's what the song is about. So it's not just a bunch of like dirty rhymes put together, you yeah. know? Um, and then I would just, I would go to various people and sing them my song, people who played piano. Right. And we would lay out like a basic demo. The chords. Right. Awesome. Um, I'm sure you were asked to do porn. I'm sure that floated by as a possibility was that ever something i've only been asked once yeah joe gage joe the gage best the, you got asked by the best yeah. and at the time i just wasn't ready i wasn't like i wasn't doing videos i was only doing photos and even now i i don't think it's it's porn per se i want to be doing even though you can look at some of my stuff and go david that's more yeah but i'm kind of doing it my way and I think just to kind of have to do what they tell me to do and do it for like 20 minutes. Yeah. There's things about porn I really love and there's things about porn that I really don't love. Yeah. And I don't want to be forced into doing something that I didn't believe in. Um, how can people find your movie? Where do they need to go? Okay. So the best thing to do just to get everything is if you go to musicalcomedyhorror.com. Right. And that's horror, W-H-O-R-E, not horror. Right. Musicalcomedyhorror.com. <laughs> There's a page that says how to watch. Okay. You click on that, and it has, gives you all the streaming options, which are things like Fandango, iTunes, YouTube, Voodoo, um, in demand on your cable box if you have Comcast or Spectrum. Wow. And then, and, and it'll also have, as soon as this gets worked out with Amazon, which should be within days, right. hopefully, how to connect to Amazon so that you can stream it through them or buy a DVD through them. What's your OnlyFans if people want to check that out? Is it yeah, your name? OnlyFans.com slash RealGuyLA. RealGuyLA. R-E-A-L-G-U-Y-L-A. So um, OnlyFans.com slash RealGuyLA is OnlyFans. And musicalcomedyhorror.com is where you can find out everything you need to know about 
the film and I hope people will watch it. It's so much fun. Yeah. I want to encourage people to check it out. It's very entertaining. It's very well performed and written. There's the music's wonderful. And it's an interesting, like, what would it be like to do that? But there's also lessons for people in their own life. Um, What do you hope people get out of it? You know, a a friend of mine came to see the film, uh, came to see the show with her um, uh, future husband. And I I actually ended up marrying them. Oh, nice. And I like them very much. And he's a straight guy, you know, would have no reason to come see the show if his wife wasn't such a fag hag, you know. Um, And I love her. So she told me a few weeks later, she goes, you know what? After seeing your show, he realized that he had issues in his life and he got himself into rehab and he's totally working on, on, on he saw the, 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 the um, conflict that you were going through and he really identified with it and he went and took care of himself. So I hope that people can kind of go beyond my journey and right. look at their own lungs and say, hey, where can I make... Where where is it in my life I can make myself feel better about myself? Right. Where can I maybe not listen to that other voice and only listen to my voice? Right. Because my voice is the right one to listen to. Right. You know. Yeah. And there's a big um, theme of self love, and uh, and and overcoming shame that come through in the movie. And, um, and I am not like I'm not like a guruy kind of guy. Yeah. I'm not very. I'm not, I, I always say I'm, I'm kind of spiritually bankrupt, although I'm really not. But I think that this is a very kind of um, accessible uh, lesson right. if you're going to come and get something out of it. Oh, and you also describe yourself as a recovering narcissist, yeah. uh, which I think is a very funny uh, thing. So it's possible to be a recovering narcissist. I, I was always wondering if that was something that stuck. From cradle to go- it's always going to be, I will never, it's like, you know, being an alcoholic, you can be a recovering alcoholic, but you're always an alcoholic. Right. You know, I will always be a narcissist. If you, you know, if you see the work that I'm doing as a model, you'd be like, oh, that guy's a narcissist. And I don't deny it, but it's what you do with it that counts, you know? Right. And, and I find that being a narcissist isn't always such a terrible thing because look, it's, I'm 61 years old and I'm in pretty good shape as I'm not would not so much physically body-wise, but health-wise. Right. Being a narcissist forces me, makes me work out and eat well. And, you know, taking off, getting naked on the internet is a really good reason to hold yourself together. Yeah. And I would like to think that even if I wasn't doing that, I would still want to stay healthy, you know? Yeah. And whether that's out of narcissism or anything else, whatever, you know? I, I think that being a narcissist isn't always a bad thing. Well, you never struck me as a narcissist when in our in our uh, in our interactions or whatever. You never struck me that way because you're interested in other people. You're you know, and it wasn't always well, about you. You know, when I first moved to Los Angeles, um, I had my little my little pad with me so that anytime I met somebody in the business, you know, I would be like right on them. Like I was so you know focused on you know the business and this and that. Right. And I didn't listen to anybody. If anybody wasn't talking about me, I wasn't listening. And when you realize that, when you start to see people run away from you, when you show up somewhere, right. you kind of got to go, wait a second, what am I not doing right here? And right. it was a real, it was a real, you know, pail of cold water on me when I realized that I am such a narcissist that I don't listen. Interesting. And 
I was not that I was insensitive because I've always been a very sensitive person. Right. But I, my my um, uh, just everything was screwed up. So now, you know, it's and it's been many many years. When I meet somebody who is a narcissist who does what I did, who doesn't listen, right? You know, kind of like you said. Who, who you would drop dead if after you asked them what they're up to, you would drop dead if they ever said to you, what about you? Yeah, you and how was your day? Um, yeah. I learned so much about the kind of person that I did not want to be by being that person. And <laughs> that's, I like that. You came clean about that. Was there a moment where, it, where you went, holy shit, I'm insufferable? I don't, but I think it had, it had to be an opening night of Outfest. <laughs> <laughs> that's where all that's where all the skeletons come out. Yeah. All right. Exactly where where you see like people like the kind of people that you go like, "Oh, I want to see that person." And then, "Oh, I don't want to see that person." Right. I felt like and this this is early on when I first came to LA. Right. Um I I'm not saying that that is the truth, but I'm feeling like well, maybe it was somewhere where I was like, "I'm not I don't feel a part of this." Yeah. Because I, I, I think there's some, I don't think it's them. I think it's me. Yeah. And it was me. It's all, it's never them. It's always you when you realize in life. And this is something that, you know, it's taken me a long time to get to that. It really is about, not about you and that everything's about you, but that when it comes to situations that you can change, you can't change them. You can't. Right. You can change you. Right. You can, you can make a difference, you know, and, and that changes how you look at the whole world. Yeah. And, I'm so grateful that I learned that lesson when I did yeah. because I just feel better about how I connect with people. And I do think people kind of look at me as kind of a caring individual, somebody who, you know, you want around cause I'll make you laugh a little bit or whatever. I don't want to be the guy that they run away from anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that does not feel good. Yeah, that's not a fun thing. Do you have other social media or anything that you want to mention? Um, are you, I active? do. I have, um, on Instagram, I'm Deep Hevs. Okay. I have two Twitter handles. Now, this is, again, where it gets kind of convoluted. Right. I have David Pevsner Twitter, which is more my politics and, sure. and my career and that. And then I have Real Guy LA, okay. which is a lot of times where I post clips for OnlyFans. Right. You know? Um, and you got to drive I, those viewers. You got to do it's it. It's my provocateur side, and I got to get people there, yeah. Yeah. How um, often does OnlyFans pay you? Is it monthly? Whenever, no, whenever I, 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 I set a, a, a minimum right. that I, when it, when it hits that minimum, I click on it and it, boom, uh, right into your account. Me. I have, for all the things I know people have had problems with it and people have opinions about it sure. and this and that up till now. And I've only been, I've only been charging a subscription since March. Right. Up until now, I've had the best time with it. I treat it really seriously as a business. I get great give and take with the guys who follow me, you know. Yeah. I, I go through periods where there's a lot of people and then I lose some of them and then I get other people and and I, I think for me it's it's fun and it's it's something I kind of have always wanted to do and I'm doing it in this period where I have time to do it. And you have total control over it. You're not working for somebody else. Um, no, to- you know, they take us a portion of what you sure. charge. So you charge accordingly. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going to do it until I don't want to do it anymore. And yeah. I, and, and being the kind of person that I am, I would let people know, a, you know, a couple of weeks ahead of time so that they're not making a payment. They don't want to make like, it's a business and you want people to be happy. 
Right. You want to give people what they want, but you also want to do what you want to do. For sure. You know. Have Have you been recognized on the street by somebody that likes your OnlyFans or a senior nude thing? Do they ever say anything? Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's funny. I they come really close because I think they don't want anybody to hear. Right. They come up really close and I'll be like, oh, hi. And they'll be like, I really like your photos. Oh, or, nice. Or, your videos are really cool. Yeah. And because, and they're not coming up, they're not being like gross or icky. Yeah, no, it's they're nice. Just, they don't know, people don't know how to, how to talk about that stuff. And that's my point. It's like, call me up and say, hey, I saw your dick on the internet. Fine, good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love I, it. I did have a friend. I was at a party once. I, I just love this story because it was just so indicative of how like horrible being naked is. Right. I was at a party and there were a ton of people there and I saw somebody across the room that I hadn't seen in forever. And he starts coming over to me and really like his demeanor changed from party to I have to talk to him. Yes. I'm worried. I'm worried. He calls he calls me over and with his fingers kind of gestures to me and he goes right up to my ear and he goes I don't know if you know this, but there's a naked picture of you on the internet. I just thought you should know. And I went, a naked picture? <laughs> anyway, anyway, I said, chances are I probably put it up there myself. And he was like, what? So I went through the whole explanation of it with right. him. And he kind of went, oh, okay. Like, he didn't understand it. Right. He doesn't know why anybody would do it. And I was like, and I wasn't going to try and change his mind. I was like, well, this this is what it is. You yeah. Know? So... Don't feel weird about it, because I don't feel weird about it. Right. So go have another drink and have fun. Yeah, have fun. and thank thank you for concern. It was his concern. He was concerned. That was nice. Um, At least he came up and said something. You yeah. Know? All right, we're going to wrap it up, and this is my last question. Um, Ask away. Is is there a, a moment or an interaction that you remember from your escorting or even from your OnlyFans that you found particularly meaningful, where you were like, I'm so glad I had that experience. That was extraordinary for whatever reason yeah i'll tell you it's it's kind of not directly with the only fans and it's not directly with the escorting right but because i had naked pictures on the internet i got an email from a young guy this is a few years ago now um who sent me this long email and he said you know he tripped on me on Tumblr and saw these pictures. He was like a senior in high school. Right. Tripped on me pictures. And then, of course, you know, you're not supposed to be looking at, at photos on the internet until you're 18 over. And I think he actually was 18. Right. But he said, you know, he liked my photos. He liked the, he liked older guys. And then he uh, Googled me and he saw that I actually had a career and that he went on my Facebook and he, like, heard my rants. And, you know, he said, wow, this guy is like a real, like, person and I just thought he was like you know naked hot guy on the internet and he told me that he had tried to kill himself the year before because wow. he lives he lives somewhere where you know you just can't be gay and he was hiding secrets and he you know I think about this I think about the stuff that kids have to go through that may not be able to process it and aren't strong enough to deal with it and he said that after he saw my stuff, he realized that he could have a life, that he could be fully sexual. He could be, a, he's a singer. Right. He could be a singer. 
he could have an opinion he could be this person and he said and so for my senior year he said you got me through that year knowing that i did i wasn't going to be here forever and that these people are small-minded and that there are other people out there who will get me right and enough he went away to college and he got a boyfriend we've kept in touch over the years we're actually still facebook friends he came to see my show in chicago actually oh that's amazing Um, i got to meet him face to face and i i just that was so moving to me that like even guys like who you know when guys do porn it's it's not just it doesn't fall on deaf ears or it doesn't fall on 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 just like i'm jerking off sometimes like for us i saw guys having sex and i thought that looks really good. Like, it's not scary. It's not awful. It's, right. you know, I, I can be, I can be somebody and put it out there. And, and, and look, I would never tell anybody, like, I didn't say to him, yeah, well, just put your dick on the internet. And you'll be like, I would never say that. Right. But he's now like this singer. He's like a really good singer. And he, he does, he does his thing and he's making a career and he's outspoken. And I'm not taking, I'm not going to say that I saved his life. I'm not going to say that at all. But I do think that knowing somebody like me who isn't just one of of many, you know, I'm, I'm not just a sexual, I'm not just a porn star, I'm not just an actor, I'm not just a, you know, a political person. I kind right. of combine a little bit of all of it. It made him feel better about who he was and what he does. And what he could and be. It gave him permission to be, be who he was in a way. Yeah, and... And I don't know, would he have tried, you know, further to kill yeah. himself? Would he have tried further to, to hurt himself? Yeah. I don't know. I, I like to think not. And that but... young man's name is Justin Bieber. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, I told him, don't, don't get married. Don't, Justin, no. And then he didn't listen. Exactly. The ta- I'm, uh, I don't know about the tattoos, but um, anyway, yeah. David, it's been a real pleasure I, talking to you. I'm so glad I got to watch the film. I hope everybody else watches it. There's so much there. It's entertaining, interesting, moving, and it'll make you reflect on your own experiences. So congratulations. Well, I, thank you. And, and I really do. I mean, it, it is hard to kind of like beat the drum and be like, you know, watch my film, watch my film, watch my film. But, you know, the, this this show, this film is my heart on a stage. And uh, yeah, it, it, I just want people to enjoy it. I really do. Awesome. Thanks for doing the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a ball. All right. Bye. Thanks again to David Pevsner. Check out Musical Comedy Horror online. You will not be sorry. It's very entertaining. So uh, this happened. We did the mismatch game on Zoom uh, last weekend. It was our first time doing it on Zoom, and it went really well. A few little technical hiccups, but overall, the spirit of what makes mismatch game fun came through. Lots of belly laughs, uh, lots of fun contestants. The panelists were hilarious, and it just felt so good to laugh and... uh, Everyone afterwards, all the panelists was like, when can we do it again? When can we do it again? I think it just felt really good for everybody to be silly and fun and uh, and uh, be together in a way. So we're planning to do it again maybe at Christmas time, maybe a holiday thing. So stay tuned for that. It was super fun. And we raised 1770 something. So $1,700. Uh, not bad. So And the cool thing about it is as we do it going forward... You can watch it from anywhere in the country and maybe even be a contestant. Maybe even in the world. Maybe you can watch it overseas. Anyway, it was great, and we're going to do it again. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.